And so the question for us is simply this. Where do we need to repent of this critical and hurtful pattern of speech? Where do we need to humble ourselves before the Lord and one another? And where do we need to change our attitude of heart and our manner of speech going forward? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. We're continuing our look at the book of James. Our message is called Speaking in Humility and Faith. And Jonathan, it sounds like today, as James reminds us about the significance of our speech, it's a great opportunity for us to reflect and think about how we do use the power of our words. Well, James won't really allow us to... Uh, work through this section of his letter without thinking hard about that. And he'll really, he'll call us to repentance, actually, concerning the way in which we've spoken, the way in which we've used the tongue. He'll call us to repentance where we've been ungracious toward other people, and we've used the tongue to maim. But but interestingly, and perhaps surprisingly, he'll he'll call us to repentance where we've been boastful in terms of uh, speaking about the future and our plans for the future. And this is a really interesting thing, perhaps surprising thing. This isn't an area we would be inclined to think about very very often without prompting. But James will highlight for us the ways in which we can actually speak boastfully and arrogantly about the future, saying, I'm, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and next month I'm going to go here, and, and all the rest of it. And James says, you've got to remember that you're, you're a creature and God is God, and, and you don't know the future. And a recognition of that needs to mark your speech, and there needs to be a humility about that. So it's, it's a fascinating passage, but one that's going to be, I think, really personally challenging for each one of us. Well, let's look at that passage, James chapter 4, verses 11 to 17. Here is Jonathan. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? There's one judge, and we know who he is. He is the one who is able to save, save even the most flawed, even the most sinful human beings. Uh, He's able to save people like me and people like you. He's able to save the brother or sister whose failings we see and might be inclined to critique. And if he would save them, if he can save them, if he has chosen to save them, who are we to turn around then and condemn them. And at the same time, he is able to destroy the unrepentant sinner. And we don't need to go about pronouncing condemnation on his behalf. He is the judge. And so who who are you? Who am I to go about judging our neighbor? Now, at the end of the day, our attitude with respect to these things must be shaped fundamentally by the gospel itself. We find it so very easy to be self-righteous so easy to feel morally and spiritually superior to others. But the gospel reality is that you and I were hopeless and helpless in our sin, morally bankrupt, spiritually dead, guilty before God, the lawgiver and the judge, and yet it was he. It was this very lawgiver and this very judge who took the initiative to save us. He sent his son to live the life that we could not live, and then to die the death that we so amply deserve. And by means of his son's death on the cross and in our place, he made it possible for people like us to be saved, to be ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. 
And now here we stand if we belong to him. Now we stand before him, not on the basis of our merits, for we have none, but on the basis of Christ's merits, of his finished work at Calvary. Now that's, that's, that's simple gospel truth, isn't it? But if we would simply remember that gospel truth, if we would remember where we came from, remember that we were lost and guilty, dead in our trespasses and sins, if we would remember that, we might have the humility to refrain from slander, mightn't we? From a spirit of judgmentalism, from sheer unkindness of speech about others. Now, we need to recognize here that James is not issuing a blanket prohibition against the church exercising any kind of discernment, nor against exercising appropriate church discipline when there is persistent and grievous sin. This is not a prohibition against us individually going to our brother or sister in humility and addressing personal sin and personal offense, encouraging a brother or sister to repent of sin that we might see in their lives. No, this isn't a blanket ban on addressing sin or exercising discernment. Here's what this is. This is a ban on slander, on gossip, on an attitude of judgmentalism on a critical spirit. And so the question for us, of course, the question for us, the question for me, the question for you, for all of us is simply this. Where do we need to repent? Where do we need to repent of this critical and hurtful pattern of speech? Where do we need to humble ourselves before the Lord and one another? Where do we need to ask the Lord's forgiveness and perhaps the forgiveness of brothers and sisters where we've got this wrong? And where do we need to change our attitude of heart and our manner of speech going forward. Now, I can't imagine that there is a single one of us here who is not touched in some way by this challenge, who does not feel in any way the force of this rebuke from the Word of God. None of us is perfect in this. None of us is without fault. There is wrong within this that we so easily commit and so quickly justify and, you know, as we think on these things and talk about these things, I am quite sure that some will know immediately and some here will be feeling quite deeply that there's been what can only be described as a pattern of sin here. You see it in your own life. You know it. You know it. And you know that actually you've got to go away today and you've got to make some things right. You've got to seek the forgiveness of a brother or sister, perhaps. You've got to make things right with the Lord. Come humbly before him in repentance. You've got to seek the help of his spirit to change. And if that's you, let me say, don't let the moment pass. If the spirit is touching your heart, don't let the challenge drift away into the fog of forgetfulness as it so easily can. This is a serious matter, James tells us. Ultimately, it's a matter of submitting ourselves to the Word of God and recognizing rightly that God is the judge. Now, that's our words about one another. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Our message today is called Speaking in Humility and Faith. Now, we're pausing right here, but we'll get back to this message from the book of James, chapter 4, in just a few moments. So I hope you'll stay with us. You know, if Jonathan's teaching is helping you in your walk with Christ, we'd be so encouraged to know about that. 
You can always give us your feedback and let us know how this program is helping you in your walk with Jesus. You can come to our website and you can contact us that way. The website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. And while you're there, I hope you'll take just a moment and check out our weekly Bible study from Jonathan. One last time, the website address, EncounterTheTruth.org. If you joined us a bit late, we're in James chapter 4, looking at verses 11 to 17. Let's continue the message, Speaking in Humility and Faith. Here is Jonathan. Now for words about the future. Speak humbly about the future, James urges us, verse 13. Come now, you who say, tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him, it is sin. Throughout the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, I've turned to these verses again and again in my mind. These have been really the theme verses of the pandemic. And I think the Lord has been teaching us their lesson in a rather powerful way through this season of unprecedented global disruption. I don't know for sure, but in the end, I do wonder if we may end up looking back on the quarter century that preceded the pandemic as a kind of golden age of global mobility. Two world wars in the first half of the 20th century had strengthened the resolve of nations to pursue peace and openness. The United Nations had been formed in 1945 to coalesce and give shape to that resolve. The fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989 seemed to indicate that the final divide between the West and the communist world had come down. And since that time, we saw the movement of people between nations and continents and cultures increase exponentially, spurred on by pretty cheap air travel. And then COVID came. Then COVID came. And in the midst of it, renewed global tensions and divisions. And suddenly, all our plans to travel, to visit, to explore, to relocate, they were all torn up in an instant, weren't they? We went from a situation from the world being our oyster to our home being our prison. And we made that move rather quickly. Suddenly vacations were canceled. Family visits put on hold indefinitely. Business trips turned to Zoom conferences from the living room. And we discovered that our best laid plans were not worth the paper upon which they were printed. James warns us to be careful how we speak about the future careful how we speak about our plans. He knows how easily we boast about the future. You know, next year we're going to travel here. Next month we're going to explore this place. Next week we're going to see those relatives. In the next quarter we're going to expand the company into this new territory. Tomorrow we'll visit clients there. And wealth and technology make us more confident of these things. They actually increase our arrogance, I think. Commentators note the fact that right after this discussion at the end of chapter 4, in chapter 5, James goes on to rebuke the rich for some of their attitudes and some of their sin. And it's no accident that this warning comes right before that. The rich, and by most global standards, by the way, many of us count as rich, the rich can be 
more arrogant, I think, in this regard. Money and security tend to enable some forward planning and some confidence about plans. But here is the bottom line reality that James highlights for us. Verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. That's the truth. That's the reality. You just don't know. You cannot know. How could you know? And here we come back to the issue that we've been facing throughout our passage. Here it is. We are not God. God is God. We're mere creatures. He knows the future, but you and I, we can never know the future in its details, apart from what he's promised in his word. We can attempt to forecast and predict. Of course, sometimes we'll get it right. Much of the time we'll get it catastrophically wrong. That was true, of course, with COVID. No one saw it coming. I, I, I mean, scientists knew that a pandemic could come at any time. Even Hollywood knew that much and had made various films about that. But no one knew where or when or how the next one would come. But then it hit out of the blue and plans were torn up and the world kind of ground to this dramatic collective halt. And so the pandemic brought home to us, or at least it should have brought home to us, the lesson that James would teach us here. It's an important lesson, but we're very slow to learn it. James knows that we're slow to learn this. And so he sort of, he sort of puts his arm around us, actually, really, in a kindly way in verse 13. And he says, come now. Come now, you who speak with confidence of your grand plans for the future, where you'll go, what you'll do, what great things you will achieve by your own power. You say these things, but you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know if tomorrow is going to bring another pandemic or, or a natural disaster or an act of war. Will it be another 9-11, a tragedy in the skies or on the roads or upon the sea? And James forces us to confront our mortality at this point, our human frailty, middle of verse 14. What is your life? What, is, what does it add up to, really? What, what are you? You're flesh and bone. You're a frail creature. You're a frail creature who, for a time, yes, grows in strength, flourishes for a time, and if spared an untimely death due to disease or disaster, then declines gradually with age until the life of the body fades away. That's what you are. For you are a mist, says James, that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's what, that's what you are. That's what I am, a mist. You see it on the fields in the morning. You see it over the skyline of the city. You see it above the surface of the waves. It's there in the morning, but as the sun rises and increases in heat, it melts away and it's gone, even forgotten. Our lives are brief, and whatever flourishing our lives may involve for a time, they lead unstoppably to the grave. We know it's true. We just don't like it. We prefer to avoid it. We functionally deny it all the time. But James wants us to own up to our humanity, our frailty, our mortality, and then to learn to speak with a humility that comes from being mortal creatures. Don't speak with arrogance about a future you cannot know and cannot guarantee, he urges. Instead, he says, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Now, that, that comes on pretty strong. These are strong words. And we feel like saying, James, say, look, you know, I, I didn't really mean anything by it. 
you're reading too much into the way I speak. I was just, you know, I was just talking about what's on the calendar next month. I, I was just talking about my vacation plans with a, with a friend. I was just making a business pitch, a, a presentation. I was just dreaming of a little bit of travel, James. Strategizing for the business. Why this overreaction? But, you know, James is pretty insistent here, speaking with arrogance like this. And that's what James calls it, arrogance. It's actually a kind of boasting. It's a boasting in our own power to do what it is that we want to do. It's a boasting in our own strength and in our own vitality, assuming that we will be physically able to do all these things. It's a boasting in our knowledge and our foresight, claiming that we can even know these things will be possible for us when the day comes. And at its root, speaking in such a way about the future, it fails to recognize that we are creatures and God is God. And so instead, we should speak with the kind of humility that recognizes God to be God and ourselves to be creatures. If the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this and we will do that. If the Lord wills, we will live. That's striking, isn't it? That's the basic consideration. We may not have another breath. This may be it, friends. We don't know. We might not have another heartbeat. That's a simple and sobering truth for each one of us. Life can be snuffed out in an instant and we may not have the days or hours remaining to do the things that we desire to do. And beyond the basic question of our survival, there is the more fundamental factor, if the Lord wills. If it's his will to do these things. Now, to speak in that way recognizes that we are dependent upon the Lord's providential overruling of all things for our plans to be possible. But more than that, to say, if the Lord wills, is for the Christian to submit ourselves intentionally and volitionally to the Lord's will. It's to say, I only want to do this. You know, I only want for this plan to come to actual fruition if indeed it is the Lord's will. If it isn't, I don't want it. I, I've made this plan. I've set it out. It seems good to me. You know, I'm pretty keen on this vacation, right? I, I'd like to see these family members. I believe this business plan is a good plan. I think this work trip would be a valuable trip to take. But I don't know everything. You know, I know that my wisdom, it's finite. It's not infinite. My, my insight, it, it only goes so far. And so I intentionally submit myself to the will of God. And I want to declare that I only want this plan to succeed, this plan to go forward, if it is indeed the will of the Lord. Now, I know we have one family, at least here in the church, who simply would not be here if their ancestors hadn't encountered a delay on the train on their way to catch the Titanic for its maiden voyage. When I was a, a child, we knew someone else whose family missed sailing on the Titanic because this man, who was very elderly when I was a little kid, has now passed away, but he was an infant at the time, and he was unwell. And his mother was so disappointed and so put out that they missed the first voyage of this great and famous ship because the baby was sick. <laughs> but, you know, the Lord had other plans, and I think they were very grateful that he had other plans. You might look back, mightn't you, and think of a job you wanted or, or a place in a particular college or university or maybe a romantic interest and things, you know, didn't work out. But as you look back through the years, you're, you're thankful. 
The Lord could see the future. You couldn't see the future. You didn't know how this would work out, but he knew best. And so we learn to say over time, as we see the Lord sovereign overruling in our lives, we learn to say, if the Lord wills. I, I think I'd like this. I think I'd like to pursue this. I, I hope to do this, but only if it is the Lord's will. And friends, that is the appropriate and the humble attitude of faith. It's the only right attitude for the believer as we make plans for the future. But it is just so unnatural to us. That's the problem. It's not the way we're inclined to think. It's not the way we are inclined to behave. And Really, as with so much else in the sinful human heart, we can really trace all this back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve's rebellion. You know, God had told them what would be good for them and what would be bad for them, and they had decided that they would decide for themselves what would be good and what would be bad. They would be masters of their own destiny. That's what they wanted. And that really is the heart of human folly. It's the heart of sin. It's always the heart of sin. I will decide for myself what I will decide for myself. I'll do it my way. And as we come to Christ, we need to begin to unlearn this sinful instinct. We need to repent of this attitude. And the way in which we speak about the future, it will actually demonstrate volumes. It will speak volumes about our faith. It will reveal the nature of our heart within now, we don't have to repeat slavishly James's precise form of words every time we book a meeting or plan a coffee with someone or dream up a vacation. We don't have to add the mantra, you know, God willing, or as it was in the old days among those who studied Latin at school, DV, do you remember this? Deo volente. But we can speak with a faith-grounded humility. We speak of praying about our plans of trusting in the Lord to overrule in our hopes for the future. We can speak of proceeding if we sense that the Lord is in something. But if we cannot speak with humility about the future, and if we will not do so, James warns us that this is sin. For the unbeliever who doesn't know the Lord, this is perhaps less of a clear-cut thing, but for us who do, James says, verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it as a sin of omission, well, for him, it is sin. Friends, we are not naturally very humble creatures. The heart of sin is pride, isn't it? But James calls us who know the Savior, who trust in the gospel of grace, who have come in humility to the foot of the cross for forgiveness of sin. He calls us to learn humility in the way in which we speak. Humility in the way in which we speak of others. Humility in the way in which we speak of the future. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you, says James. That's the call. And that's the great promise too. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth and part of a message called Speaking in Humility and Faith. It's a part of our series from the book of James. We've been in chapter four today and our series is called Doers of the Word. If you've missed any of the broadcasts in this series, you can always come and listen at our website. You can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. Our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported ministry. It is your generosity that keeps this program on this station. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you. 
by sending you a book called Know Your Enemy. Uh, Jonathan, I know this book has to do with sin. And why would you pick a book that has to do with sin as something that uh, we'd like to pass along to listeners? Well, you know, the Bible wants us to understand, and the Bible teaches clearly the fact that those who belong to Christ are engaged in a spiritual battle. Whether we recognize that or not, Satan, the Lord's enemy, does seek to undermine our walk with Christ and our testimony for Christ, and to survive in that battle and to thrive in our walk with Christ, we need to understand the nature of the battle and, in particular, the identity and character of the enemy, Satan himself. And and this book is written to help us to do that, to give us an understanding of our enemy that we might fight the good fight and engage in the battle in a godly way. And I think that's going to be a tremendous help and a tremendous encouragement to those who read it. Well, we'd love to send you a copy of this book, Know Your Enemy by Graham Bynan, as you give a gift of any amount this month. You can find out more or give online when you come to our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-998-7884. That's 833-99-TRUTH or again, our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.